Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 96 to the world's meeting point. <laughs> is that what it's cool. called? <laughs> yes. <laughs> The the pilot actually says that on Turkish on landing, you know, the world's meeting point, which actually, you know, it works quite well. It's just not a bad marketing. And the airport is night and day compared to Ataturk, the old one, man. Completely different. I am very ex- I saw some pictures you posted on Instagram, but I'm very excited to hear a bit more about it, the experience. It's not perfect. Please, my Turkish friends don't attack me when I'll say a few things negative, but it's a really good airport. They can be proud of it. So let's start with uh, some feedback from our last episode. First of all, <laughs> so much, man, so much pushback against my Eva Air description. <clears throat> I don't know. Am I dumb or am I unlucky? Apparently, Eva Air is so awesome and I'm the only one who experienced something kind of meh with them. I've just taken a few feedbacks that we've gotten a lot. And I repeat that every single time, but this is becoming harder and harder over time we can't mention you all guys thank you so much for reaching out but there's literally two billion messages in the last week actually because we're recording today on june the 20th 2019 but this won't go live until next week because next week i'll be in vacation so we needed an episode so thank you alex for making the time for me for (laughs) working working around my schedule so uh the feedback the first is from kq747 on instagram he was surprised, I think he's a he, by my EVA experience, as I've seen nothing but great trip reports. I just booked my first J trip with them, and I'm quite looking forward to it, but trying to manage expectations, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds a bit like you had a mech crew, and it's possible. It's possible. That was the main, yeah. your main reservation. And actually, they've just gone on strike today, so maybe you were, oh. you were experiencing the percolations of that <laughs> resentment. So, mm. yeah, maybe. We keep saying for every single flight we do, the crew can be a make or break in the experience. So uh, Kyle Potter, uh, K Potter MN on Twitter. I think Kyle was the one who actually told us that uh, Eva was so fantastic. He said, uh, we had the exact opposite experience. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I built them up too much. The crew on my flight were outstanding, whereas I felt Singapore was more robotic and working off a checklist. Just speaks to how important and unpredictable a crew can be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think our experiences with BA have really reinforced that that they can make or break your whole flight no matter how good or bad the hard product is yeah and yeah it's everything you said about the eva service sounded so out of character from my experience and to be fair i flew them on a 15 hours from chicago rd stakes are even higher on trends pacific love the podcast thank you kyle i believe however you know there's a trend in all the feedback i've gotten i think that if you fly from taipei which i didn't but especially if you fly to and from the us it seems that the experience is much different maybe do they consider their flights to the us as premium routes and my bangkok to amsterdam wasn't though i honestly don't think that my bangkok to london you remember the flight was next to me would have been so different so maybe there's something there yeah I, I i think 
We found it with, again, I mean, not to just compare everything to BA, but that's, I think, at least for me, my, my point of reference and the experience on which I have the most data is we found that there can be inconsistencies on crew basings, on unions, on aircraft. Yeah. So perhaps you did, perhaps, you know, if you'd done the same duration flight, same hard product, but gone from, say, LA to Taipei, you would have had a completely different experience. Or even Absolutely. if you'd done the same flight 24 hours later, who knows? Yeah, which shows the lottery that it can be because well, this yeah. was my first flight. And now I'm like not really buying into the brand. I'm like, should I do that? And next time I see a flight, I might not do it. But to one feedback that actually goes into my direction at Han Chicago, he's a long-term listener, completely agree with Paul and Eva's on the colder side process-focused service. Was expecting a very fun Hello Kitty 777-300ER flight from Taipei to Chicago. So he did a US route. But a flight attendant's put a damper on the experience much prefer the service on singapore and gel so yeah that tends to show that probably eva is not always consistent let's put it that way <laughs> yeah well which is a problem in and of itself i mean when you boil it irrespective of industry when you boil it down and you have an inconsistent delivery of a brand promise there's something fundamentally wrong there yes alex Ostoike at Perestroika85. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Great episode. Also, good timing to pick Toronto as the Raptors just won the NBA. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to hear about that striker. <laughs> Actually, Alex, what are you talking? He's a... I mean, I can't imagine there's that many Alex O-Strikers in the world, but this is an, an A's fan. If you're not rooting for the Warriors, man, you and I are going to have a conversation this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and Fernando Andres at Dr. Fernando Andre, that's also on Twitter, sent us a nice pictures of him listening to the Innsbruck episode in an Aeromexico flight, and he said it was a great service. He also mentions that our uh, podcast is the best air travel podcast. Thank you so much, Fernando. Very, very kind of you. And keeping up with the new trend, uh, the new trend is that our listeners are becoming our testers. We had Gluco testing the beers once we announced them. Yeah. And <laughs> we have now DG College on Instagram, who flew from Stansted to Manchester with Jet 2 and tried to... <laughs> tried the uh, Nando's peri-peri in the flight, the one we mentioned last week. And he says it's a modest offering, a nice effort, but quite disappointing application and price. Top tip, if you're going to buy this on board, buy a bag of Doritos before board. Uh, I, <laughs> the, the picture looked, it did look disappointing. It looked like, yeah, I, it was like hummus bites or something like that. I think it's just flight bites. But maybe, yeah, there's a hummus and some chips and some sauce. And that's pretty much it, it seems. Yeah. When they do things like this, they're almost always disappointing. I, I There were <laughs> there were a few brands, I mean, KFC on, I think Jow and ANA did it, which was more of a, a gimmick than an actual in-flight offering. But they always seem to be a watered-down version of a beloved institution, which is never going to go down well. <laughs> You're right. Who did McDonald's in a flight? I think someone in the US did it a while ago. And I think the X, the, the airline, the, the Swiss now, Corsair, I think they did. I wonder how this would look like in a flight. Did you ever try that? No. No, no I think it would be fine. Um, I, I think maybe 20 years ago it would be fine. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe. Now we need a five guys or something uh, yeah. in a flight. That again, but again, better. I mean, it would be, I think it would just be disappointing because of what we've learned about how our palate changes in flight. You'd be going, ah, it doesn't taste the same. And now they've ruined it for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, I did uh, a, a few flights uh, since we last recorded last week. I don't think you, you've flown yourself, right? I don't right? think so. It's weird that I have to think so hard about this. But I, yeah, don't think I, I don't think I have. I don't know. Maybe I have. Who knows? I could have been to Tahiti and just forgot. <laughs> you forgot about it. Yeah, it's horrible how when you fly that much, sometimes these experiences go blurry. Something you flew two weeks ago seems like five years ago. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to sprinkle them within the episode. I flew first from uh, London Heathrow to Geneva on BA with a 14-year-old A321. I finally, finally saw the BEA livery oh, next so to me. Oh, my God. There was rain, so the window wasn't clear, but it looks really fantastic. It's probably my favorite out of the four. I only saw two so far, so this one and the Landor, but it's really fabulous. I wish I could have been in it, though I'm pretty sure I would have not even realized I'm in it. if <laughs> Because no, for me, right. sometimes you don't see really the, the planes here. Some of the gates, you know, the, you walk, 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 and you get into a fly, right? Yeah, especially at T5, some of the jet bridges go, at such an acute angle, you're looking yeah. at the gate from a plane and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't end up on that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, and I had forgotten to talk about that stupid me in the previous episode. It was my second time, actually. I tried the Speedbird 100, the beer. Ah. Uh, I did it on my Amsterdam trip and I completely forgot to talk about it. I'm so stupid. So I tried it again. The crew, actually, there was an Australian crew was fantastic. Gave me actually two beers <laughs> to, to get. You realize I must have known about it because it was not like advertising. It was not on the cart. I said, do you have it? He said, oh, I think we do. And he went back and he took two for me. He said, thank you. I forgot your name. Obviously, I suck at this. Look, is it a poor beer? No. Is it a great beer? No. It's an okay beer. I wouldn't go out of my way to try it. But of course, guys, if you fly BA, you should still try it. And if you like beer, it's, it's an okay beer. It works well in flight. I'm pretty sure it must be dire on the ground. Really? Yeah, because if it's okay in flight, my gut tells me it shouldn't be that great. But I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's even available on the ground anyway. I looked for it in the lounge and didn't see it. At least in the Ethro lounge, I don't think they, they have it. Oh, so. can't you get it at Brewdog, I don't know, bars? Yeah, the bar in the GFK lounge, oh, I okay. think. Well, I'll be, there. I'll be there next week, so I'll have a look. Oh-ho! And I'll make Greg try it. And maybe try to get the first beer as well. Maybe yes. you get it. Maybe. Yeah. I keep thinking I'm doing lots of BA long haul, but I actually book on American Metal. So, but I'll do my best. Let's see what I can find. I actually, uh, I'm, I'm keen to look at the bottle because I think it looks like a really nice piece of product design. And I didn't keep the, the can I should, but uh, I was, I was traveling very light with only a backpack, a small one, and I didn't have any room. So maybe you can actually do that and take, because I think you have a Betsy next to you. Somewhere. I do, yep. It's up on my <laughs> shelf up there. I know, it's pristine. <laughs> Betsy is still a much better beer than the Speedbird 100. So um, we know that BA does this, does the first beer, the aircraft, does a whiskey. But I mean, they're really going full on with this 100 years uh, anniversary because they also are doing a sparkling wine. So starting on the 1st of July, so in 10 days, they will serve a special English sparkling wine in their first class cabins, it's only for first class, and as well as in the Concord room at T5 at Heathrow. It's a wine produced with Hattingley Valley. It's a 2015 Blanc de Noir. And the reason they went for it is that this blend, they say, will excel at altitude as the notes of red apple skins and light red fruits really shine through. So there you Whatever. go. <laughs> Actually, I mean, I got to give credit to BA because in the M&S bio, or is it still M&S? 
that's doing so. the buy on board. Anyway, in the new, in the summer one, which just came out at the beginning of this month or end of last month, they have a, a English sparkling wine available for purchase, which is from Chapel Down, which is like 15 minutes from my house. And it's very good stuff. Very good stuff. Yeah, actually, uh, I have a friend of mine. She's a sommelier, and uh, she specializes in champagne. So you, champagne, of course, is French. And she gave me three names of uh, producers here in the UK. And she says that these ones, they're matching the quality of champagne. So we shouldn't diss, you know, UK-made uh, sparkling wine at all. And I've tried one of them, not the one that we were just mentioning for first class on BA. And it, it's really, really good. So, well, cutest to BA. Uh, usually they serve... Uh, Laurent Perrier Grand Siècle in first class in the Concord room. I don't know if they'll run both at the same time. I don't know if that uh, 2015 Blanc de Blanc is, uh, Blanc de Noir, sorry, is a limited run. But I mean, if you guys fly first class, we don't do that a lot. <laughs> I only did once, actually. And I've never been to the Concord room. But if you do, well, let us know how it looks like. Yeah. We, we'll be very interested to know. David, hi, my name's Dave on Twitter. He does these great uh, travel stats, man, you know, all these oh, okay. uh, that's on the flying. <laughs> I know how much you both love flying the 747, but I, for one, won't miss its lack of toilets in economy when it's gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> he did an actual post on his travelstatsman.com uh, website. Very cool. He always has these crazy stats. It's really, really a, a fun website to browse through. And the worst toilet to seat ratio for economy passenger is found on the Boeing 747-8 with one toilet for every 46 passengers. Yikes. Yeah, that's not that great. Yeah, I must admit that. He has all the other numbers on his website. Check it out. So, yeah, David, you know, we're fans out of 747, but you're right. This is not the best situation. Actually, uh, remember to ask me about the toilets on Turkish when I get there later, in the, because it, there was also a toilet situation. <laughs> on Instagram, Jez underscore K... You remember we talked about the fact that British Airways is about to introduce pricing for business seats. And for him, it makes sense. As a BA Gold, I often make last-minute bookings and changes for business travel. And I appreciate that I can get a good seat at short notice. Sure, I'd find it annoying if I didn't have status, but it makes little sense that BA is doing it. Yeah, BA could simply also block the seats. Yeah, no, which is what they do anyway. This, yeah, there's I, I. This is not about customer benefit or customer experience. This is a pure money grab. <laughs> <laughs> There's other airlines going to that di direction, actually. This is news coming up in this episode as well. But yeah, so look, I agree with Alex, but I still think that, like we said, when you pay a price of a ticket, which is $3,000, asking you for 100 more for a seat is like, come on. It's just ridiculous. Just put the ticket at 3100 and let's be done with it. <laughs> so uh, I flew from Heathrow. I know, guys, we always start with BA for some reason. Sorry for our international listeners. But Heathrow has finally, finally announced its plan for its uh, expansion. I had seen them. I think we had seen them too in the past. Now they're official. The reason I know, of course, is that I live in a region that is going to be affected by the new landing path. I've talked about it a few episodes ago. So I've received a leaflet in my, in my doorstep, you know, telling me you should participate in consultation. 
not going to go into too many details, but the one thing that is interesting is the expansion itself. So in 2026, the new runway opens. Before that, they will have had to do some road diversions, especially the M25, which is the circular road around London, changing the trains, displacing people, etc. In 2030, they will open T5X. Uh, that's how they called the terminal that is west of currently T5A. We used to call it T6 ourselves, but they call it T5X. Why? And they will... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, they will also expand T2A. You know, T2 now seems to be half done, so they will expand it north a little bit with a, an extra pier that will protrude. In 2035, we're really talking about a long time, the T5X I just mentioned will be expanded, and there will be the T5XN, which is a satellite next to the third runway, Interestingly, there will be no train going back to T5. It will be a road-based connectivity system, which basically is a bus, I'm sure. <laughs> and only by 2050 plus, they say 2050 plus, which means I might not be in this planet anymore, T5X and T5XN, so T5X, the thing west of currently T5, and T5XN, the thing north next to the Thun runway, will be then fully built, so fully opened, and that road base connectivity, again, that bus, uh, will be replaced by probably a train at that point. And also we will see the full extension of T2, the creation of T2C, which is even further than the current T2B, and destroying T3, that will become T2D. So by then, in 2070 or something, we'll have <laughs> these, <laughs> these layout of, you know, basically horizontal piers after piers after piers after piers. What I don't... was I, I'm excited about this. I will believe it when I see it, when I see the breakdown. <laughs> but what about T1? So T1 is where T2 will be expanded on. So they will destroy it around if they keep to their timeline around 2030. So, so it's just going to sit there for <laughs> nearly 10 years. Yes, exactly. With those cool 2001 Space Odyssey. Sci-fi. Yeah, uh, that seems dumb, but I these people are much smarter than I am, so I'm sure they've got an idea. You know, I, I mean, like you, like you, I'll believe when I see it, it is also true when you compare that to in the new Istanbul or when you compare it to Daxing, the new Beijing airport, when you see that kind of timelines, you're like, well, so you'll have a fully open airport in 45 years. Mm. It's not the same timeline, but I get it. We also live in a country that has a democracy process, uh, you know, due process that, you know, and balances infrastructure, environment, people, etc. So all the impacts. So I get it. So it's just a consultation, meaning that they will listen to people like me who will complain. I'm not going to complain too much, to be honest. I think, you know, at the end of the day, they need to expand. I still think maybe they should have done another airport somewhere else. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll still be alive and maybe we'll still be running that podcast. We never know. <laughs> yeah, episode 1,459. <laughs> the good news at Heathrow, by 2022, uh, no more liquid ban in the x-ray machines. It's at security. They're investing in, a, I guess, the same CT machines that Amsterdam and Munich. Yeah. Yeah. So no plastic bag for sure. And maybe they'll also lift the 100 millimeter limit. That would be good. Yeah, that'll be good, yeah, because it seems to be a little bit uh, now almost uh, a relic from the past. 
Um, so I flew a 321, as I mentioned. Airbus just announced his 321 XLR at a Paris Air Show. Yeah, and got some big orders and some impressive performance statistics. It says here, uh, I have the press release in front of me, that it brings a 30% lower fuel burn per seat than the previous generation aircraft. So I guess it's a 321 LR. And it says, okay, that's a bit of marketing. Combining single-ale economics with long-haul wide-body cabin comfort. Well, I'm not sure about mm. that. It yeah. still is. <laughs> it's still, you know, all that way in a single aisle, which the 757 is proven is yeah. bearable. <laughs> Maybe, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, American Airlines, your favorite, since you keep buying on them, has ordered 50 of them. These planes will replace their 755s, actually. Both planes carry around 190 passengers. The range is slightly better on the XLR. I think it's 4,700 nautical miles, whereas the 757 is only 4,100 nautical miles. So we're probably going to see the XLR over the Atlantic, I'm pretty sure. Qantas is ordering 10 of those. They don't say if it's for them or for Jetstar, their low-cost arm, but they already are doubting that they might fly this from Cairns to Tokyo or Melbourne to Singapore. Yeah. So these are pretty long routes with a single L. Yeah, but- somebody retweeted one of the many aviation Twitter accounts that I followed, put out a neat infographic that I think Airbus generated showing all the routes and all of those uh, performance stats. I, I, I think it's cool. I think Boeing hesitated a bit too long on their, what is it called? 797, the, the, the new middle of the market. Or yeah, something. Mid, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I think that's what it is, what it's called, middle of the market thing. And the Airbus guys have just jumped in and, and filled that spot. And there it is. But I don't think that Boeing will be put off by this. So a little bit interesting to see what their retort is. Yeah, because the, uh, let me first announce a few others. Uh, Cebu Pacific will get also XLR's Middle East Airlines, so Air Liban. And IAG is buying 14 of them, but they're saying it's for Aer Lingus in Iberia. And Air Lease Corporation as well, which is one of the biggest lessers in this world, is also buying a ton of uh, XLR. So it's going to prove a, a very successful aircraft. But you're right, the dynamic, because of Boeing hesitating with the 797, I mean, we don't know it's called a 797, but pretty much everybody believes that's the name is going to be called. And at the same time, having its uh, 737 issues right now, which the rumor is, should they go for a 737neo of course they're not going to call it neo but should they go for the next iteration it's two big investments and they have to make a decision pretty soon because otherwise they'll be back in what happened in 2011 where suddenly american bought airbus aircraft and boeing was like oh we need to create a 737 max and that led to where we are today so not here to say that the dynamic will end up in the same situation but uh, boeing has to make a decision yeah very they, quick they have a lot of decisions as you say to make and yeah i wouldn't want to be them right now at least there is because they bought the embraer they're selling some of those klm bought a lot of the e2 jets and we don't have a lot of e2s in, in europe so that's a uh, good news yeah uh, it is good you. news they're going to use them for what is it uh uh, City Hopper, is that what they're... I think so. KLM City Hopper? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what, I, what, what is now? What is, what is interesting, I've seen a layout that's, of course, the layout on the ground in Paris for, you know, marketing purposes, with the front, the business class cabin. You know, usually Embraer is 1-2. It's a uh, 2-2 staggered seats so everybody has ale access in yeah. an embraer e2 that's pretty cool i wonder if anybody's actually going to use that or yeah. if they're just going to be high density as they always are in these short <laughs> hops not in europe for sure because we never get any good business class but maybe in the u.s some airline will go for it by the way i, I learned something you remember you had 
you were sat in a 320 that had to power cycle, you know, like a router when the internet doesn't yeah. work. I learned that on Embraer, it's something that happens quite often when oh, they yeah? have an issue. They are simply unplugging and replugging, I guess. <laughs> so much so that pilots say that Embraer stands for every mechanical breakdown requires an electrical reset. Embraer. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I like those planes. <laughs> no, me too, actually. I, I really I really do. Especially, uh, there's a little thing for your feet on the side, a little protuberance when I can yeah. lay my, my feet down. I love these planes. And also the square windows-ish. Um, so, since we're talking about the Paris Air Show, of course, IAG. <laughs> IAG did uh, something that must have pleased. I'm sure it was planned all along to do that in Paris. But IAG bought two hundred seven three sevens. Yeah, 737 <laughs> well, what yeah. are they going to be? Yeah, because that's the thing. It's clearly 737 MAX, yeah. but if you read the press release, it doesn't say MAX. Nope. And that's because, and I think it was on Bloomberg, Boeing is currently mulling whether or not they should abandon the naming and rebrand the plane altogether because they've made some customer research and found that the name is now tainted. So they could actually go for something else, which actually would prove... Uh, Donald Trump, right? Because didn't he tweet like three months ago that, what do I know about branding? Maybe they should rebrand the aircraft. So maybe actually it's going to be called the 737 something else. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, it's a great, I mean, honestly, with all the problems that Boeing is having, it's great that they have such an announcement to make on Airbus turf. Hey, here, IAG is buying 200 of ours. They're stealing the PR show from Airbus in Paris. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And they've... IAG have said that they're going to be deployed across level, whaling, and very interestingly, BA at Gatwick. BA used to be, used to have 737. No? Yeah, and up until about four, well, certainly in the lifetime of this podcast, they had them out of Gatwick. And I, yeah. And they were very, very, very long in the tooth. So this it's interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. And also, it's kind of nice that Gatwick is going to get some new airplanes and not just Heathrow hand-me-downs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, um, they got to go back to the days where they're a mixed fleet and not only 320 for their short haul. But what I didn't know is Willie Walsh was a 737 pilot. I did not know that either. So maybe, uh, I guess, of course, it's also to spur competition. Relying on a single aircraft is great, but having two, you can actually maybe have some discounts. And every time making the other one afraid that, hey, I'm going to buy the other one if you don't give me a good price. Though I suspect that because of the predicament Boeing is in right now, and because it's 200 aircrafts, probably IAG got a good price on this. Yeah, I, I'm very sure they got a good price on this. <laughs> so no 737 MAX. I don't know how they're going to call it. I'm sure they're good at marketing. They'll find something. And Norwegian had one of their aircraft, one of these, uh, in Malaga. And they wanted to bring it back to Stockholm, back to base. That was a week ago, I think. And they start flying it and... They flew it over Spain, they flew it over France, and when it reached the German border, it was on a holding pattern over France because they didn't read the regulation and both Spain and France allow ferry flights, so flights without passengers. But Germany says not a single 737 MAX can actually fly over us, so they couldn't go. They had to go back to Malaga. That's hilarious. <laughs> Someone uh, didn't do their homework. I assume that these kind of regulations would be, you know, pan-European, not One like every think. 
Yeah, right? I mean, anyway. There's uh, some rumors that actually the Max could go back to service in August. I think that Southwest and or American have removed them from their schedules until September 1. Oh, I see. But, oh, there, you but there, you know, there are a lot of people who have them. on. The, and actually, I'm very interested because we're going to be going to Seattle in the beginning of August and we'll be going to Boeing Field Boeing Field or Painfield, wherever they make the 737, and I'm sure that it'll just look... You're going there? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. Of course. You're gonna do I can't a... go to Seattle and not go there. <laughs> Are you going with your kids? Yep. Can I be one of your kids? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? The more the merrier at this point. <laughs> the other question, of course, for Boeing is whether or not the chairman and chief exec, Dennis Muhlenberg, can actually stay on. There's a lot of pressure from actually lessers. Lessers are saying, what the hell is going on? You're delaying the 777X. The max is not there. And Avalon, Avalon, I think it's the third biggest lesser in the world. They have like, I think, 600 aircraft or even more or something. like. And they only have nine 737 Maxes, but the CEO is unhappy of Boeing's crisis management. My gut says the Western world will let it back in the air in August. But my view is that the Chinese will play this to the long game and the Indonesians will absolutely wait until the end and not allow it. So you could have a plane regulated to fly in the US and Europe, but nowhere else in the world for that matter. That's his take. And he knows, I mean, he's a third bigger lesser in the world and probably talks to a lot of customers. That would be a very interesting outcome to see if the plane is allowed to fly at the same time all around the world or not. Yeah, I don't think... Anybody has any idea how long this is going to take? And I know that a lot of people are chiming in and saying that, was it Sully today said, Chelsea Sullenberger yeah. said that there needs to be another layer of simulator training for all MAX pilots. So I don't even think they've announced how they will reintroduce this plane into nope. the market, yeah. let alone when. Yeah. And Sully, that was, that was interesting because we wrote a column like just after the crash of Ethiopian kind of blaming the inexperience of the pilots. And then on the article you just mentioned, tried the same flight Ethiopian on a simulator. Of course, he's a 320 pilot, let's be clear. But he tried and he said it would have been very difficult to recover the flights. It's only that's hence his change of stance that, you know, an iPad training is clearly not enough. So there's yep. a lot of pushback by pilots. It's, and uh, and he has a lot of weight, at least PR-wise. Other good news from Boeing, uh, Korean Air is buying 30 Dreamliners. That's nice. So they will have 747-8 and Dreamliners. So that's a great... Um, airline to choose if you want to fly them and <laughs> virgin which i still haven't flown uh, we're so pleased to announce that we've ordered 14 airbus a330 neos we're on our way to our cleanest a youngest fleet ever yeah duh you had 340s that's why you say that yeah yeah <laughs> they have the most bizarre fleet management seven yeah they you know at one point 330s 340s dreamliners 747s 34600s, 34300s, it was all over the place. And now at least I think they're consolidating between 330s and Dreamliners. Yeah, at least there's that. Our, I don't know if it's beloved, but Mitsubishi, the space jet now it's called, right? They said they have a prospective North American customer with deliveries beginning in 2024 for 15 of the M100s. 15. 15. At least they have someone outside of Japan, but they don't announce who that is. And it could just be a promise. You know how these things go. But 
Good news still for them. It is good news. I want to see this plane in the air. I want to see one in the flesh, too. The funniest thing, however, at Paris Air Show, which is still going on today, actually, so we're not here to cover all the news, but the funniest thing, I don't know if you've seen that, so the Airlease Corporation, which I've mentioned uh, just a minute ago, the CEO, John Pluger, when he... (laughs) When he bought, made the announcement of buying these XLRs, he jokingly put his Amex out, and that card had to be canceled later in the day because somebody found the number on it. It's not funny. You know what? When I was in Singapore, my Amex got actually hacked. Not in Singapore, probably somewhere else, because I had strange stuff happening in the UK. Their fraud system is so good, man, at Amex. I'm, I'm so happy to having Amex here. Uh, guys, we're not making any money by telling you to get an Amex, but uh, it's yeah. It's so good for travel. Oh my God, yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. Have you ever used, by the way, any of the Amex Centurion lounges? Yes, I have. Where did Are I use it? Uh, Hong um, Kong has them? No, somewhere US? in America. Miami, maybe? Yeah, they're good. They're good. They've actually just changed the entry criteria. It's not as generous, but I like it. So to continue to my flights, then after Geneva, where I stayed a few days for family matters, meeting my brother and having some parties with friends, I went to Athens. I needed to be suddenly in Istanbul on the Monday. We are Saturday morning. I'm like, I need to find a flight to Istanbul. And I'm looking at the prices and they're mental because obviously we're talking two days before. And if you want to fly to Istanbul, there's not that much competition because Turkish basically owns the entire thing. So I said, you know what, I'm going to fly to Athens and then from Athens fly to Istanbul. It's going to be less expensive, two separate tickets. So I flew Swiss, Geneva, Zurich, Zurich, Athens. It was a last minute bike. I literally had to go to ticketing in the airport. I felt like in a movie because they wouldn't let me buy it online on the app saying it's too late. I'm like, what? (laughs) It was three hours before the flight, let's be honest. So I went there and I had 45 minutes to make the flight, which in Geneva is uh, very easy. Geneva, you know, it's a small airport. It works well. Zurich is fantastic. I even had time to go to the lounge. Wow. I only had 60 minutes. We know Zurich, you know, especially this time it's within Schengen. So there's just going out of the flight, having coffee in the lounge and going to my next flight. It was perfect. But the second leg was an interesting one because the second leg was Zurich to Athens and I had the CS300, so the A220-300. And finally, they have a divider between economy ah. and business. <laughs> they bought the same divider as Air Baltic. So guys, this is the end of this saga. We started seven, eight episodes ago. There's a divider by Swiss. I don't know why they waited so long <laughs> to get that. The one caveat, I remember you did fly the Bombardier with Swiss, no? Did you Correct. not? Yeah. You know, there's this spine on the back of the seat, which makes it great for legroom because your knees have more yep, sp- very space. But what I didn't realize, because uh, like you, I have an iPad Pro 11 inch, there's no like a single pocket down there. There's like two little pockets and you can basically put a little bottle or whatever, but you cannot put like a large device. And on top, there's, you know, there's plastic inset of uh, storage where they put, you know, the safety instructions and the magazine. You cannot either. And I was like, oh, okay. So I cannot put my iPad anywhere. So I I hid it on my side so the the crew wouldn't see it. (laughs) A lot of uh, airlines are are now buying, when they do economy refresh especially, they're buying seats specifically designed with device holders. I've never seen that yet. I have seen it only once or twice 
It's a do, good idea. Do you need to have something to hold? Or no, it's you... almost like a, an adjustable cradle. So no matter what wow. size device you have, it fits reasonably elegantly. I would have loved to have that because I use my iPad for IFE all the time. So it would be fantastic. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Since we're uh, on Swiss, let's talk about the Lufthansa Group. The Lufthansa Group sent shockwaves in the European Shock. airline industry because it announced a profit warning and everybody is like ouch if the germans are announcing something the rest of us are not in a great situation yeah. <laughs> so that goes with what uh, o'leary the ceo of Ryanair, said like i think a month ago he said there was an attritional fair wars in europe and believing that only four of european airlines will survive after this war so wow and lufthansa is especially pointing the finger on the Eurowings, so their low-cost arm saying that well the prices are not going well of course the stock went down but all the stocks of the airlines in europe went down after that of course air france klm is also widening their losses so let's brace for impact maybe I yeah know. i i mean it, everything that michael o'leary says is hyperbole hiding a, a shred of <laughs> insight and it's usually pretty good insight as well mm -hmm. i think four airlines is a little bit aggressive but maybe four airline groups which is yeah. kind of really all we have uh, yeah, actually, a bit more yeah. than that, actually, but still, you know, <laughs> I, this was an inevitability, though, wasn't it? When you're when you're racing to the bottom in terms of product and cost, this is yeah. this is only ever going to be the result. Yeah. So on Lufthansa, we know they are getting the triple seven X, and that's where they're going to introduce their new business class finally. But they will charge for seats assignment. There you go. Uh, stop. <laughs> Nickel and dime as well, like BA. Yeah. Oh, well. But the CCO of Lufthansa Group went all Al Baker and he said, it's not just business class anymore. Within the Boeing 777X, you can upgrade yourself to an even better product than just standard business class. It's a real jump forward in terms of convenience and in terms of product selection. Yeah, right. It's I think a, that's a called seat first class, class dude. <laughs> what a weird thing to say. <laughs> well, since you're talking about first class, great. Will Lufthansa keep their first class? I was lucky to do it once. You remember guys to Haneda from Frankfurt last summer. Yes, they are saying that they've asked their top premium customer, that's how they call it, basically the Hans Circle members, and most of them really prefer to travel in first class. Well, no shit. Uh, <laughs> so they say they will keep their first class on the very high yield route. The interesting bit, and that's a rumor only, but it's a strong one, will they go like Emirates and having only three rows so basically having one single seat an ale one seat an ale and one seat like the new triple seven emirates that's what they are thinking because they they say that when they had asked whether a door was important to their customers five years ago that was dismissed as meh and now it's really changing because out of their customer surveys i think more than 70 percent of passengers want a door so they say well for first class we will have to do a door so they will have to introduce a new first class would it be like Emirates, we'll see. Do you want a door? I don't, I, you know what, if it's, first of all, I don't travel first class a lot, but I don't really need a door. If the privacy is well done, it's fine to me. Like Cathay, we keep going back to Cathay, but for me, it's, I feel private without the need to have a door that completely hides me. What about you? Yeah, I'm the same. I, I think 
you know, the BA Isle Club World seat is not private at all, and you feel very yeah. exposed. Exposed, yeah. But the American Airlines seat, the Cathay seat, Emirates seat, I think do a really good job with it. It's neat, but I think it's one of those things that's inevitably going to fail at some point, <laughs> probably when I'm using it. <laughs> Yeah, I think on Emirates, they have the doors are, you know, motorized. I think they are the only ones having motorized doors. And on the oldest first class, I mean, they keep revamping them. So it's fine because it's Emirates. But on the oldest, sometimes you press a button and like, okay, I'm going to do it manually. I think it's going to be better than pressing a button. So yeah, of course, like you say, it's failing. Yeah. But Lufthansa, I mix all this can be happy because they have won more awards on Skytrax. Is it me or is there a Skytrax award every three weeks nowadays? Yeah. It feels like. Yeah. No? There's there's some... Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's insane, man. They're kind of it's actually... Like, they're writing their own obituary because it really devalues whatever they had, whatever credibility <laughs> they had left. Yeah, which is not a lot because when you give five star to an announcement by Lufthansa for a new business class, it's just insane. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so Lufthansa received the Skytrax Award for Best Western European Airline best and Western. Best Airline in Europe. So they have both Europe and Western Europe. Anyway, Austrian got the Best Premium Economy Class Catering. I've never done that. And Swiss, the Best First Class Lounge worldwide oh that's nice and Which that's the one? one that gates e first class oh yeah, yeah that's a good lounge yeah. but qatar qatar is back on top it overtook uh, singapore was first uh, last year qatar was already first i think in 2011 2012 2015 and 2017 and yeah i think they deserve it they also won world's best business class world's best business class seat and the best airline in the Middle East. They deserve it. But Singapore, no matter that they're second, also got world's best cabin crew. Here you go. That's what I told you guys. World's best first class. Yeah, the new first class looks awesome. Uh, best airline in Asia. Uh, no kidding. And world's best first class seat. Yeah, again. Yeah, so yeah, they are amazing. Uh, Japan Airline won the world's best economy class and economy class seat. You've flown JAL in economy, right? In economy, yes. But it was a while ago so perhaps it doesn't reflect this so qatar was first overall airline singapore second ana third deserved fourth cathay fifth emirates sixth eva <clears throat> seventh hainan it's interesting i really need to fly these guys eighth Qantas, ninth lufthansa and ten thai the cleanest airlines in the world eva comes on top eva comes on top it's, it was very clean guys i'm just saying i'm surprised that japan airlines which is second and ana which is third are not on top singapore asiana hainan swiss cafe qatar lufthansa so always the same airlines you know we know which airlines are the best by region in central asia india it's aristana we both know it and like it yep in north america it's air canada yep in africa it's ethiopian and then what else is interesting in all these lists? Yeah, catering, uh, food, come on. Eva Air for economy, Austrian for premium economy, ANA for business, and Air France for first class. No surprise. No, I think that sounds reasonably uh, fair. Everybody says that first class on Air France, the food is out of this world. I've never done that. No, me neither. I needed to try it yeah, somehow. We, somehow get invited or something. <laughs> the best airline seats, Japan Airlines has said for economy, Virgin Atlantic for premium economy. Yeah, I can believe that. They've always mm -hmm. had a strong premium economy product. Qatar for business, I mentioned in Singapore for first class. The best lounges, I just mentioned Swiss for first class. 
Business Class United. Wow. What is that Polaris or is that? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you get the club. And another, because the US is usually not very highly featured in these lists, the best airline alliance lounge. And I've been there. The Star Alliance Lounge at LAX is fantastic. I've never been it's there. It's fantastic. Kudos to them. The best independent airport lounge, Plaza Premium at Ether Terminal 2. I've never been to that one. Oh, I have. Yeah, it's pretty good. There's no windows, but it's, it's, a, it's a good lounge. And again, the first class lounge, dining, Air France. Yeah, really. I think if we have to have good food in first class, we need to fly Air France. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Best airline staff. So the crew, uh, I mentioned a few. Africa, South African Airways, Australia, Pacific, Fiji, Central Asia, India, Vistara. Interesting. Uh, yeah, they're supposed to be really good. China, Hainan, Central America, Caribbean, Copa, South America, Azul, North America, Delta. Yeah, they really are getting good reputation, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Asia, Thai, Middle East, Fly Nass. Fly Nass. Uh, yeah, I, I've never flown on them, but I've heard of them. Aren't they Malaysian? I don't remember. Maybe you're right. Way off. Saudi Arabian. <laughs> <laughs> and in Europe, drum roll, BA. Of course. The best staff is BA. I think we, I, yeah. I, I, can, I can see on the, on the best day, they're pretty much unbeatable. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love it. Uh, so all these awards are great, but no one has a Lamborghini. Have you seen Bologna Airport unveiled its new follow me car and it's a Lamborghini? Of course it is. <laughs> My God. I mean, I think maybe I'm mistaken. I think the Lamborghini factory is close by, which is why this tie up is happening or something. And it's a Huracan. I think that's the name of the, the, the model. It looks... There's something to be said about Lamborghinis. If you, as a kid, when you look at a Lamborghini, it looks like a plane. Yeah. My son, my eldest son loves the Lamborghini. Or I'm not surprised. Or whatever, you <laughs> That's the one, yeah. So show him that one because that one has, you know, the lights on top and the follow me on the doors. And it has like, uh, you know, the color ring so that the planes can actually spot it on the runway because it's so, so low cool. profile. It's so, so cool. cool. <laughs> what a kick the pilots must get out of that as well because it must be such a nice departure from the norm. Since I talked about first class earlier, Cafe Pacific announced that they are cutting down on first class for regional routes, which, you know, it's in the trend nowadays. I think Korean Air also stopped uh, doing first class. Jena is eliminating first class altogether. The interesting bit about Cathay Pacific is that they're going exactly the direction we mentioned about Swiss going to Tel Aviv. They're not going to change the aircraft. They're just not going to sell first class on regional routes. So if you are in a big aircraft, you will be able, as a business passenger, if you have status on Cathay, to be sat in the first class cabin, just having the same service as business class. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, why not? The sad thing is I don't have any status. I don't know if it works for One World. I guess it's only for Cathay Pacific. What's the name of the program again? Uh, Marco Polo? Asia Miles. Is uh, Asia Miles. Marco, Asia Miles, Marco Polo, yeah. Marco Polo is the... Yeah, it's like Executive Club and Avios. I think it's Marco Polo and Asia Miles. Okay. <laughs> well, know. that's complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've never flown uh, first on Cafe, but that could be a way for me to do it. Not buying first, but being in a regional flight and having first and trying to get there. And uh, yeah. they say they'll have uh, seven, seven flight attendants for both cabins and serve directly first in business class with the same catering. So why not? But the big news about business class is Emirates, the basic business class. Yeah, they've what is unbundled that? business class. And so they've basically doing this even lower fare. And I have always maintained that 
Emirates business class is pretty good value when yeah. you get one of those decent fares. But they're unbundling everything that you would in the past get as part of your business class fare. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so there's no chauffeur. Yep. No large access. No upgrades to first class possible. Restricted seat assignment. So you can only choose your seat when check-in opens and not before when you book. And the reduced miles, of course, as well. Yeah. They call it special. Yeah, that's a stupid. Yeah, they're there because there's Flex Plus, Flex Saver. Saver is usually the fares you talked about. And special will be even less expensive. What do you think? I think if the price is noticeably lower, which it ought to be, I think it's a very good idea because... Most of those things I don't care about where, and you pointed this out to me, where it gets a little bit odd in terms of value and cost or value versus price is the lounge. Yeah, because you can expect having the lounge, but you can't. And also, how does it work? If you and me, Alex, we buy an economy seat and we grade ourselves in business class, we will get a lounge access and we will get chauffeur drive. But if you bought business special, you don't get those. The proposition can be a bit murky sometimes, but so, I think yeah, it's a good idea. I think idea. that's why I think that the price has to be aggressively low. Yeah. And it's something that Tim Clark announced three years ago already. He says they want to unbundle the product. Not only business class, everything. They want to unbundle the product. So it was just a matter of time. Honestly, you know what? It's the type of fare I will use. Yeah, you me know, too. I'm, I'm very price sensitive and I'm ready to, you know, maybe forego my... What, what I'm wondering is... No, I'm not gold anymore. I just was downgraded to silver like a week ago. (laughs) I wonder if status can counter some of these, let's say lounge access. If you're gold on a special fare, can you still get lounge? Maybe. I'm not sure. We'll learn. I mean, these are introduced in the coming days. So guys, if you fly that, if you take one of these uh, fares, let us know. And what's the experience? I really don't care about the chauffeur drive. It's nice to have, but I really don't care. The lounge is the one problem because... By definition, we have a layover in Dubai, so it's kind of nice to have the lounge. It's the one that I'm really, I don't know, we'll see. I'm going to use it. Me too. Now, of course, uh, the name, you know, we're going to get one day uh, Business Select, Extra Class, Business 5, they Business 2. They've not done a good job with these. Economy good. No, but all the airlines are going to. Oh, yeah, exactly. No one it's just, yeah. <laughs> but Emirates has to become a more normal airline, I guess. You know, at least they're still selling first, and et cetera. So why not? Yeah. Uh, they also confirmed premium economy for 2020. We knew it was coming. We've been talking uh, about this for a long time. Though. Time, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's next year. So that's coming up. Tim Clark promises that it will be only a slightly more expensive than economy. It will be no full life flight, but it will be sleeperette. So I guess his couch chairs, like all the airlines have. He was directly himself involved in the design, and he wanted to club besides the cabin. So I don't know if there's going to be a little bit more privacy than the usual premium economy. Could be cool. He's promising he's going to reach fit all the aircraft with it so it's oh. it's not going to be only on the upcoming aircraft but it's going to retrofit it's nice and, and knowing emirates they will do it very well and i know because he said that they really want to encourage economy flyers to upgrade and not business flyers to downgrade so uh, it's going to be a tight line to to walk on but yeah i'm pretty sure they'll they'll smash it me too me too I, it will be good knowing emirates the other thing that must be fascinating at Emirates right now is because they don't have these 380s coming up anymore and they replaced them with uh, 330 Neos and 350s, 
they have to rejiggle their entire network. It must be some kind of big puzzle because suddenly they say, okay, we don't have the same capacity in the future. Which aircraft will we make for this or that route? Right. And they are right in the process of doing it. The one bit that I like in all this is that they are recommitted to adding more fifth freedom routes. Please, more from Europe to the US. I yeah, I keep trying to find a way to use them. Like that Milan, New York one, I yeah. almost did. Please, just as many as you can. You will fill up those planes. <laughs> and Clark also promises that they will get far more integrated with Flight Dubai, though short of being, of course, a merger. They will probably use Flight Dubai for a lot of the short haul around Dubai. That could be it, reserving the, the big aircraft for their routes because they're rejiggling. They literally, I think Clark said in an interview that I read a few weeks ago, that they're really rethinking their entire model for the next 10 years with these new aircraft. It must be quite the challenge. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I would imagine they really do. As you say, with the 380 no longer being part of their, well, their strategic backbone, really, they have probably had to sort of go, okay, well, we have to rebuild the airline. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. The domino effect, however, of suddenly getting these type of aircraft is what's going on with their Boeing sales. So the 777X, he basically said that they will be subject to longer timelines for service entry. So they're spacing out buying these 150 777X that they had promised. Not that they will not buy them, but they need to work on that new route system that we just mentioned. We finally have the answer on what happens with those Dreamliners. You remember when yeah. they came and suddenly said in front of Airbus, hey, we're buying 40 Dreamliners. Clark said the letter of intent not only was never finalized, but has now lapsed and has no validity. Wow. So basically no Dreamliners. It doesn't say no Dreamliners forever because in that... 777X, they might actually take some Dreamliners on, but these 40 Dreamliners, no way. Either they're rejiggling 150 777X and do, let's say, 120 777X and 30 Dreamliners, but this was, it was really just a publicity stunt. I was going to say, it's a weird, it's a weird bit of, bit of posturing, isn't it? <laughs> Yes. That was, what, two years ago? I yeah. Think? Yeah. Dubai Air Show, I think 2017, probably. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I'm guessing, uh, I think the Dubai Air Show is coming in September. So I guess this is where we're going to see the premium economy announced. We're going to see all these things probably getting getting announced because it, it's under tarf. Yeah. A sign that they are getting closer to Etihad is that Emirates is actively removing 777 freighters and chartering Etihad freighters. That's interesting, isn't it? Uh huh. Maybe they're going from the back door and you know, like trying to do an integration, but let's start with the ones that nobody sees, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, and Emirates doesn't want 747-8s too bad, but Air Force One is getting some, and the design of the livery? God, <laughs> I really hope that this isn't that they're going to ditch the JFK era. I'm sure there's an official name for it, but the, the Air Force One that we know and love, yeah... I don't know, guys, just look it up. It's it's okay, but it's very bland compared to the one. You know, the one 
The current one was designed by Lowy, Raymond Lowy, uh, who was himself a war veteran because they say nowadays, you know, the, the new design has to be more American. I mean, whatever. But, you know, Lowy was responsible of the design of Greyhound, the design of two of the cars of Studebaker, the famous Coca-Cola vending machines that was him, Lucky Strikes, if you're a smoker, TWA, that was him, Axon, that was him, Shell, you know, the famous Shell logo, that was him. So it, it's really an iconic design that Air Force One livery. And yeah. the new one is, I mean, we're going to get used to it, but there's no way this is iconic. And I don't know if it's confirmed yet either. No, but what, what's his name? Stephanopoulos or whoever has shown the picture of it. It's, I don't know. Oh, well, what can we do? We're never going to fly on this anyway. Well, that's true. Have you seen any Air Force One up close yourself? Yeah, once? Uh, there oh. are a few. And there's um, there's a few that you can go on that are retired. One oh, uh, wow. in the Museum of Flight in Seattle. And there's one at Grand Canyon Airport, which is Eisenhower's Lockheed Constellation, which is stunning. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I need to do this. Uh, one more reason to be a kid of yours and go to Seattle <laughs> with you. <laughs> Uh, so, Qantas, since I think well, it was the eighth best airline in the world or something in a list we mentioned earlier, Qantas, Project Sunrise, so flying from Australia to anywhere in the world for like 5,000 hours of flight, they are very close to making a decision between the 350 and the 777X. They haven't decided, but Airbus and Boeing are delivering their proposals now. I think it's just happening this week or next week or something yeah. like that. And Qantas will decide what happens, I think, by the end of the year. They want to launch this in 2022. But to our passenger experience point of view, what they said is, you know, all the dreams of having a gym, like a nightclub and having people sleeping in the cargo. No, nothing of this. They said, we're going to create the fourth zone. The fourth zone is the cabin, the second zone is a galley, and the third zone is the restroom. So the fourth will be basically an area to stretch your legs. That's pretty much it. Which which makes sense. There's no need to overcomplicate yeah. this. Of course, they, they call it a space dedicated to exercise, health, and well-being. Oh, stop. <laughs> Interestingly, however, open to everyone, no matter your cabin, no matter yeah, your fare. Yeah, that's good. Um, that's good. That's I good. think the people in the cheap seats need it more than anybody else. But that also could mean that this has to be not maybe in the back of the cabin, then it could be somewhere in the middle if you know if you don't want to make the, the people in business class walk all the way back i don't know we'll see uh, interesting anyway. uh, yeah that's an interesting <laughs> i hadn't thought about that and of course the ceo when he mentioned that the ceo of Qantas, when he mentioned that plan said don't worry if you want to have a drink you can still have wine or beer it's fine so health and well-being includes alcohol for them okay, right well, of course um <laughs> Qantas also announced their plan to retire. There are 747-400s. That's going to be next year. Wow. Man, they, mm. they, they really put those to use. I always see one parked at San Francisco Airport next to the International Terminal because they arrive early and depart late or vice versa. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah. Inevitable, but, but a shame. They've announced as well in the same breath that they are 380 will last until the end of the 2020s. They're going to stress them out until the end. Fair enough. Good. Yeah. They already like are, some of them are like seven, eight years old. So they're really going to go until the last drop of A380 there. But yeah, it's good. That's yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I don't know if uh, you ever wanted to be a flight attendant, Alex. But if you had wanted, I'm sure you, you would have been a great one. And especially a smart one. There's a Qantas flight attendant that is suing the airline because he slept on the stairs of the aircraft. 
And he said that the carrier should have provided training on how to use the stairs. Oh, oh come on. <laughs> so he slipped and fell, and he's suing the airline because... Lack of training on how to properly use the stairs. He's probably going to win, too. <laughs> no, come on, please don't say that. <laughs> anyway, Qantas for frequent flyers, they are doing a gift and are loving this. They are doing a 380 flight from Melbourne to Tokyo only for frequent flyer. It's a one-off service. Every single seat from the first class to the economy is available for award bookings with the Quant I don't remember the, the the name of their program. I kind of like the idea, honestly. I do too. Probably a lot of people are going to be going on this flight because they want to, not because they need to. <laughs> well, you just define, you know, all the AV geeks in the world, right? True. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any plans to go to Australia anytime soon? No. I do not. I, I need to get out there. Yeah, me too. There's maybe a plan in August when the client is so late. I don't know if it's going to actually happen. We'll see. We mentioned Canada, of course, in our previous episode. Yeah. Uh, and Rick Wilson on Facebook. I love that stuff. I didn't know about it. WestJet, I don't think you've flown them. No. Has released a projector. Bear with me here. Yeah, well, I'm uh, very for, interested to hear where this is going. It's for kids at home. So let's say you fly, Alex, and you fly a lot. You offer that to your kids. It's a projector that projects on the ceiling of their room, a live map of where your flight is, and basically a moving map, cool. which is linked to your flight. Not for kids, so I'll piss off. <laughs> you want to buy that for yourself, yeah. right? for your office. <laughs> I'm sure your wife would be very happy if you have like one in each room. Right, here's all the flights I'm currently tracking. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, that would be the problem. I would just I would find a way to hack it and get every flight, you know, just anything interesting. Show me all the 707s or whatever. It's called the Flight Light, and it's available on WestJet.com. It's a neat idea. Yeah. To your point, Alex, in the last episode, was it, when you talked about the fact that the flight attendants asked you to remove your headphones? Yep, and it in was, South Africa. Uh, yep, an offense if you hadn't done. We had a lot of feedback about that. I just picked a few. Richard Heath on Twitter, underscore Richard Heath, pointed to us a tweet by Lex Free, a fun one. Get ready to put your phones into airplane mode. Finish texting your fiancé. Update your Facebook status. Use some emoji, LOL. By the way, hashtag thank you, hashtag at least turn the ringer off so it's not so obvious. That's an American <laughs> airline flight attendant. It's fantastic. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> so Dan Tan down on Instagram, Daniel Tan, long-time listener, he's always been asked to remove headphones on landing and takeoff on every single flight he's taken in China. So I guess that's a thing there. David Chain, at David underscore Chain on Twitter, Telling people in the exit rows to remove headphones seems to be more common. I'm pretty sure I have that happen on Delta, but certainly not a consistent request. I'm guessing, yeah, probably yeah. exit rows is special. Fair I don't enough. know. Uh, Nicholas Hewitt at Nick House MD on Twitter. Flybe also have the no headphones on landing and takeoff rule here in the UK. They highlight safety reasons in their announcements. So, yeah, it's really airline specific then. Yeah, I think it's airline specific. And I also, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I don't begrudge. The, no, no, I know. The, I, it makes sense. It makes sense. Otherwise, you don't listen to anything, Alex. Yeah. I know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm not with noise canceling headphones. I got no idea what's going on. <laughs> 
Are you still using your... Which ones are you using now? I have the Bose something, the o- something. Over something. the ear, yeah. the big ones, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I use the, the in-ear now, and it's pretty cool as well. So, continuing a little bit of my flights. I'm in Athens, and so I'm flying to Istanbul. The last ticket is Athens, Istanbul, Istanbul, London. It's a single ticket with a long layover in Istanbul to allow me to get to the meeting I need to be. It was cheaper that way. In Athens, I've mentioned this airport so many times, they've simply added more e-gates. I think it's a trend. Everybody is going to e-gates now. It's just even simpler than before. I tried a new lounge called the Gold Air Lounge. It's probably the best they do have at this airport, but nothing to write home about. Turkish. So, Turkish. Yeah. I hadn't flown Turkish in like three, four years. The reason is, it's out of Turk, obviously, because that airport was such a nightmare to transfer at that I didn't want to try my luck anymore, which doesn't make sense to me because I'm a Star Alliance gold uh, status member. So, Turkish is part of Star Alliance. And I really wanted to see the new Istanbul airport, which is great because I had that meeting. So the Athens-Istanbul leg was on a 777-300ER. For 90-minute flights, it's pretty cool to have like a huge aircraft like this. The seat, I sent you a picture, guys, you know, it's not competitive anymore. You know, you have 232 with no privacy, basically. Yeah, it did look almost like a movie theater. <laughs> it's very comfortable because the seats are wide. Also, for someone tall as me, it doesn't feel that my head is above the headrest, you know, which happens to me all the time. This is really, really comfortable. The life flight is comfortable. I didn't use it, of course, for 90 minutes. I put it in lounge mode if you want. The privacy is really awkward. The privacy wall is basically your armrest. You put your armrest up and it kind of hides a little bit the passenger next to you. It's mid-height. Again, with my height, basically, I still see the person next to me. So, well, uh, I mean, it's okay. This aircraft might have been 12 years old or something. I'm not begrudging, clearly, Athens to Istanbul is a short route. You know, what would they put their New Year's products there? That makes totally sense. The IFE, I kept saying on this podcast, the IFE of Turkish is great. It is, but fast forward four years, it's lagging, obviously, compared to the newest of Cathay or Qatar or Emirates. It's it's good still. I still love the fact that there's the IMDb rating on every single movie. What is this movie? Oh, 4.2 on IMDb. Yeah, I'm like, I yeah, much well. prefer that they do that than gathering like the IFE voting from, because like, like six people do that. <laughs> so it's like, this is a 9.99999. It's like some crappy rom-com. <laughs> but pulling in the IMDb stuff is a really good idea. That I really love. And I'm sure, again, that, you know, with a newer product, they will have a newer IFE as well. But it's still good. A lot of content. And again, we're 90 minutes. Fantastically, for 90 minutes, full dining service. A bit hurried, of course, because the actual flight time is closer to 65 than 90. But we don't get that, you know, in Europe, having like a short haul with a 777 and full dining. And the dining, you know, that's the one thing that is a highlight on Turkish. They they have really like meat-based, fantastic food with meze and like white sauce and all this stuff and kebabs and it's really 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 good i love the fact that when you enter the flight they offer you new drinks like they do and they have you know the usual water and orange juice and they have lemon mint welcome juice oh i love that etihad have that too but on this one it says homemade what, what does, does that, that mean? even mean? <laughs> Did you made it just in the galley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whipped up, whipped up a quick batch before leaving for the airport. 
<laughs> it's very good, however. It's very refreshing. I like. Oh, I, I love, love that. It, I love but that. <laughs> homemade. Mm, I'm, I'm, I'm not absolutely, absolutely sure. Um, the crew was friendly. The Lego safety video is hilarious. I think we mentioned it with Batman Lego, yeah. of course, being yeah, the hero. Yeah, you can hero. see it on it's, YouTube. Yeah, it's super. It's great. The one thing I noticed that is very interesting is that the at the end of the safety video, they run it first in Turkish, then in English, and at the end. They have a sign language person signing to people who might not be able to hear what he was said on the video that they can go on the IFE and there's a special dedicated channel for safety procedures in sign language, which I found very nice. I haven't seen that in many other airlines. So this is a dumb question, but and I'm sure there's a very logical answer to this, but why, why is sign language better than subtitles? Is it because sign language can transcend multiple languages or...? I don't know, because they are subtitles, are they? I'm pretty sure they are subtitles, at least in the English version of maybe both. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I know that sign language is not universal. There are different yeah, sign languages right. for different languages. So, I don't know. Huh. I'd be very Yeah, let us you. know. If you know the answer, <laughs> please tell us. Yeah, yeah, because I have no idea. But I, I like the fact that they thought about it. That's a yeah. good point for them. So now, the really fun bit on that flight. There was a lady sat next to me. I had a window and there was a lady sat next to me. We had these pre-drink flights, that homemade uh, lemon mint thing. And, uh, you know, she already had put herself in some kind of lounge mode because we stayed on the ground. The plane was delayed. We stayed on the ground for about 30 minutes. So we're already watching stuff on the IFE. And then when we are, you know, rolling and we were supposed to put our seats in the fully uh, steep upright. Uh, upright. Thank you, Alex, uh, position. Her seat wouldn't move. Oh, no. So the cabin was not full, so they put her somewhere else. Wow, okay. Which, by the way, again, the row one, which I had wanted to take, was blocked on the seat map. It was completely free, and they gave her that. And I'm like, what? This is what I wanted. I wanted to be in the front. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So the seat, they came and pushed it in a way that wouldn't have impeded my own exit in case of an emergency. It was not put in an upright position, but it wouldn't have blocked me. The funny bit is, whilst I'm having dinner, and that, okay, we can discuss whether it was a good idea to come do that whilst I was having dinner. But whilst I was having dinner, they came and tried to figure out what was wrong with the seat. Uh, oh, no. And so they first put their hands under the seat cushion, and there must have been some kind of you know manual overrides. And they were pushing the seat, and the seat was resisting. The, the ottoman, you know, there's the thing that goes for your legs, that yeah. goes up, there's an extension to it, right? It extends even further to have like the full life flight position. That extension wouldn't go back, so of course the leg rest couldn't go in, in an upright position anymore. And they were pushing like madmen. And then between the two seats, there is a console, which is hidden by a metal thing. They opened it, so I was able to see the insides of how it works. It looked like the Apollo program. They had like the same kind of knobs, you know, up and down, and they were switching all the knobs, trying to make the seat being unblocked. Right. Only that, obviously, when they were doing that, suddenly my sounds turned off, then my IFE turned off and on, and then I was... So they were like pressing on some kind of cables. (laughs) Yeah, the switches, like switch, switch. No, not that one. None of the switch had any indication on it because I was really looking at them. They were really like totally random switches. Probably they knew there was a sequence to it, like, you know, like on a, like on a Nintendo, X, Y, left, right, or something like that. (laughs) They were trying to totally do that. It didn't work. 
the result, and they were so apologetic, I ended up with no sound. Everything else was working, my seat was working, but no sound. For, and I was like, for, for the, the rest you know, of for the flight. The, yeah, it was 30 minutes. I didn't care. Uh, but still. They were very nice. They offered me to move seats, but I had the last window seat. So I was like, well, no, I want to see the landing rather than seeing something at IFE. But it was really funny to see. We can discuss, however, whether a crew shouldn't have done that on the ground. I don't care myself, but I imagine and some people in business class wouldn't have liked to be disturbed while having dinner and watching something at IFE by two people next to you pushing super heavily, making my seat move in all directions and trying to figure out. But it's fine. For me, it was fun. And the guys were very fun. But basically, they ended up with two seats broken instead of one. Well, exactly. And it's funny <laughs> that they tried to fix that in flight. Yeah. And not just, you know, because it wasn't like somebody was going to come sit yeah. there. I mean, maybe they were trying to do their... Well, actually, maybe they were going to operate the turn and they were trying to do themselves a solid. But usually, they got bigger fish to fry when they're flying. I don't know why they put a 777 on that route. Probably the economy was full, but my cabin was probably, I don't know, 30% full. Right, all the see. windows were taken, but all the rest in the middle, there was no one. That makes it so. even more insane that they would do that in flight. <laughs> I didn't care. I'm just saying, as a matter of customer experience, passenger experience, I'm not sure that every passenger would have liked having people fiddling, not violently, but very heavily on the seat next to you, and my tray was moving around and I was trying to eat. I was interested in what they were doing and how they were trying to attempt to fix the seat because I'm a Navy geek. Just not sure, like you said, that it's a great idea to do that in flight with yeah. someone sitting there. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The return, no, I returned. The Istanbul to Heathrow, because of course I'm going to do the airport in a second, but I want to do the flights first. I had a 330. That's also a flagship for them. The only difference, instead of 232, it's 222 because the cabin is a bit narrower. That one was from 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Really funny thing. Have you ever seen, you know, we keep mentioning that little metallic plaque that is on the door that allows you to see the age of the aircraft on Airbus, yes, right? Yes, yeah. This one was written in cursive. Really? <laughs> I just look at his face on the video, guys. Yeah, I was standing there, I was trying to make out what it was written, and it was written something 2012, I don't remember, maybe October, but it was written cursive. All the information there, because there's other information, was written cursive. Is it like something custom made for Turkish Airlines? I have no idea, man. Sounds like it. <laughs> like, I imagine someone with a, doing manually the cursive lettering with a little That's you know, what hammer. I was picturing, yeah. <laughs> Um, same seat. So honestly, again, not competitive, but great service, great food. This is a much longer flight. This is three hours and 30 minutes or something. And uh, I am sat. I'm one of the first to board as usual. I am sat. I'm in the very back of the business cabin, 5K, I think. <laughs> this guy, so the cabin is still empty. As soon as there's a guy coming from economy, sits in front of me at 4K takes a selfie and leaves back. And I'm like, what the bore? He wants to show all his friends he's flying business class, but actually he's an economy. I love it. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, um, the IFE same. One thing I really appreciated, because I think we mentioned that a few times that there are ads running in the IFE. There's a button on Turkish that says skip ad. Oh, really? That's fantastic, man. That is fantastic. That is something I wish all the airlines would do. Like you press skip ad and you go directly to whatever content you wanted to watch. I love it. Etihad and Emirates are pretty bad about this. <laughs> yeah, they run five. You know, but with Emirates, at least, I know that is on TV channels, so on TV content, so TV shows. I think if you skip two minutes and 10 seconds, you're directly at the beginning of the... Uh, 
seconds. It's always two minutes and 10 seconds. <laughs> That's good to know. Yes. It only works in airlines where, you know, the, the forward button or the touchscreen actually works because some of them you press something and then you fast forward 25 minutes. You're like, what? Oh, that, I know. That, I hate that, that, that what I wanted to do. <laughs> I hate that. It drives me crazy. They're just like, it's like a 1992 DVD player. Yeah, exactly. You know, for me, there's two things that need to be, like you said, that it has to be very precise. And something that a lot of airlines don't do yet is that uh, backup 30 seconds. One single button you press and you back yep. up 30 seconds. Yeah. Because when you have an interaction with the crew, I want to be polite, you remove your headphones and then back up 30 seconds and you just keep watching instead of fiddling and I'm like, oh. Yeah. And that one was the case. I was trying to go back and I went back four minutes instead of 20 seconds. I'm like, my God, it's impossible to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, Alex and I could uh, give you advice, guys. Uh, we're, we're very happy to fly for free in all your airlines and tell you what is good on IFE or not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If any airlines is listening in. And that's the situation in that 3.30 where... There's not enough bathrooms, clearly. So we were sharing the two front bathrooms economy. There were our two bathrooms for business class. That just doesn't work. No. It's okay. I mean, again, you know, it's a three hours flight or whatever, but after the meal, and I didn't get up, but I could see because I was in the last row. I mean, there was a queue of five people in business class trying to get into That's these bad. and probably a queue on the other side. I mean, it's an old aircraft, you know, there's retrofit coming up, but this doesn't work. You can't. No. <laughs> so, uh, hi, my name is Dave. We mentioned you at the very beginning. You should look into the 330 from Turkish and tell us what's the actual ratio to passenger toilet thing because yeah. it doesn't work, man. <laughs> but the new business class is coming up. They are getting 350s and Dreamliners. The seat I've described in the last episode about the Singapore airline, you yes. know, the, the Dreamliner, that's going to be it, basically. Oh, pretty good. Yeah. And it's going to be a slightly different take on it because they say, you know, it's a bespoke seat and whatever. And that's going to be a fast forward in time, which will drive people like me to fly Turkish more because the current product is ah. Yeah. Honestly, they say they're not going to be a retrofit, however, but they have a different retrofit project for the existing white bodies. I don't know what that means. I don't know what they will be. They haven't announced anything, but your best luck starting next year will be to fly Dreamliners and 350s and that's it. <laughs> Wow. There you go. I haven't been on Turkish, and I was just trying to think about the last time I've been on Turkish. It's been a very, very long time. Have you not been during the duration of these podcasts? I'm pretty sure you mentioned Turkish at some point, but maybe not. That's five years. Uh, maybe not. I need to. I don't think so. Yeah. So, Istanbul. Yes. You remember the old Istanbul airport? I, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was overcrammed, over capacity, not built for that many people. The layout didn't work. The transfer was a nightmare. The... I can now say it. People loved the Turkish lounge at Ataturk. It was never a thing for me. I liked it. It's a good lounge, but not to the extent of people seem to be falling in love with it. It's yeah. the best lounge in the world. I, I was never fully in, you know, I never bought it fully, but it's changed. So first of all, the landing path. I'm coming from Athens. So you go on the south of the coast of Turkey and literally, it must be the same landing path as Ataturk for the new airport. Because at some point, I was like, is a pilot drunk? Is he going to basically <laughs> land at the old airport? airport? Well, yeah, because that's it, not literally, it's the same views. But then just before you reach Ataturk, they do a sharp left north and they land to the new one. Four runways, 
should I say four? They actually are two sets of runways because they are so close together. And I think they can only run currently because they end up with nine. They can only run two, not four at a time, but still four runways built in three years and a new airport. I mean, still admire that. I was expecting a lot of things to not work because I had read a lot of blogs yeah, and people were criticizing. With new airports, isn't it? But you know, no, it worked. The yeah. people were criticizing that, oh, there's a huge taxi time. Well, people have clearly never been to Amsterdam then because the taxi time is totally don't acceptable. Exactly. Don't talk about taxi. We landed at the outermost runway, so that probably is the longest taxi time you could have. Seven minutes, I mean, six. It was totally acceptable. It's not super long. Right. Sometimes at Heathrow, when you yeah. have to wait... When you're on the you, wrong side of the airport. Yeah, and you yeah. Get, yeah. <laughs> you see that, right. So, really good. We have a gate, so people are saying there are buses. I have not seen a lot of buses. Probably they are, but we had a bridge. I walk out. So, I had done something that was not fully something I should have done, but I really wanted to stay in the airport. So, instead of picking a place to sleep, that was 11 p.m. on the Sunday. My meeting was very early on the Monday. Instead of picking a hotel that would have been closer to the venue, I said, I want to sleep at the airport, then go very early, back and leave. The airport is quite far from the city, but thank God my meetings were not in the city itself, so it worked out. So you arrive, wow, everything smells, feels, looks brand new. And that's wow. a fantastic feeling. Man, the comparison between, and we've done an episode about Istanbul, the old one years ago, you can find it. There is one path to simply go to arrivals and one path to transfers. And the one path to transfers, I already had my boarding pass for my flight, which was the afternoon of the Mondays, 12 hours later. I show that to the guy and that's it. And you are in the new airport. There's never been any security. I am in one of the piers. I walk. Everything is new. I don't know what people complain about. It just looks great. It sounds it's fantastic. easy. Signage that also people complain about is good enough. I mean, you can find your way. It's, you know, it's a one roof terminal, you know, like Amsterdam as well. So you cannot get lost. You don't have to go through the strange transfer. You just go to the center, you know, part of the airport, which is also where the duty-free and everything is. And then if I had a flight just minutes later, I would go to another gate and that's it. It's super easy. I mean, I don't know what people are coming in about. It that's just works super well. The interesting bit, when I gave my boarding pass to this guy to clear me to go through transfers, basically to enter the airside part of the airport, he turns and says, realizing that I had a 12-hour uh, layover, says, but don't you want to go to the free hotel? And I'm like, what? Whoa. There's a free hotel, landside. So I looked it up. I wasn't aware of this. So that you know, guys, if you have 10 hours, if you're in economy, and if you have seven hours or more, if you're in business class, and of course, you're transiting from Turkish airline to Turkish airlines and international only, so no domestic flights, you can go and have a free hotel. However, and that's a caveat, the connection must not be forced by you, meaning... If you are a Navy geek and say, I want to stay 10 hours in the airport, but you could have taken an early in Turkish connection, but you decided out of convenience to take it, then you're not allowed to. I wonder the how they judge that, though. Yeah, I don't know because I didn't try it, but that's the rule. You, the connection basically must be forced 
by Turkish Airlines schedule structure and not by convenience. So me, in my case, because I was going to London, there's like 25 flights to London every day. I landed at 11. There's probably a flight at 7 a.m. So no, 7 a.m. would have made seven hours. Maybe I would have gotten it. Anyway, I don't know when the first leaves. But so that you know, guys, you can get a free hotel. I didn't try it, but there is a free hotel, Landside. I had myself booked the transit hotel. You remember my story about the transit hotel at Ateturk, which was one of the worst hotels I had been in transit to? Well, this one is a Yotel. Well, You've been to Yotel yourself. I have, yeah. Fantastic. You get in, you check in with a machine, and the checkout time is basically your boarding time. So, of course, I was leaving earlier because of the meeting, but honestly, fantastic. Price reasonably, rooms are brand new, everything is brand new, so really, really good. So that's, that's the hotel thing. So now, the... <laughs> The airport itself, man, it's huge. It, it is huge. I mean, you can feel clearly that some of the parts were rushed at the end to probably maybe because of the opening. If you look very closely to some details, some stuff is not perfect. But honestly, these are just minor details. It is an airport that you can be proud of. It's massive. It's very clear. The roof is very high. It gives that impression of airiness. I don't know. It just, it works super well. It really works super well. People were complaining there's not enough travelators. I don't know what they're talking. Walk, Moving walkways. You have to walk a lot because obviously you, it's one roof terminal. Like in all these one roof terminals, sometimes you have to walk a lot. But no, actually, I never felt I had to walk excessively. Maybe I was lucky. I arrived gates D, I think, and I was leaving from gates B or something. It worked. It just works, man. Clearly, not everything is open yet. You still have some of the shops, bakeries and stuff that is soon to be open. But come on, the, the airport is a month and a half. I mean, let's, yeah, let's, I, let, let's give them some slack. For right? it to be working that well after I mean, a month and a half is admirable. Yeah, I mean, honestly, everything inside worked super well. And the worry-free situation, no security, no security of the gate, obviously, but you're in transit and it just works compared to the situation before. We never knew if you had to go through security. There was some guy checking the thing. There was a queue of 5,000 minutes to actually go from one gate to another. This is just a brief. I mean, I it's a connecting airport. It's, it's fantastic. It's really interesting because when I was there and you saw some pictures I posted, yeah. I have a lot of Turkish friends. And it was really uh, divisive. Some people were super proud of the airport. And some people will say, this is a piece of crap. And I'm like, guys... Uh, at least from an outsider point of view, I'm sure there are some details that don't work. Apparently, I, if you arrive by car, domestic part is still not indicated well. I mean, but these are details. Yeah. Six weeks old, come on. I mean, no, it works, man. I mean, honestly, they, the, the domestic flights are under the same roof. They're just all on the gates uh, G, I think. That's it. There are lots of cafes. You have nap zones. They realize that people sometimes, you know, because it's a connecting, unlike Dubai, for instance, some people want to sleep and they don't have any access to any lounge yep. or might not have the money for a hotel. They have nap mattresses in zones that are segregated, probably not enough, but still people were sleeping and waiting for their connection. I don't know what people are complaining about. <laughs> yeah, I, I am very interested to see, to experience it. I, I don't have any plans to, but now I kind of want to. And now the lounge? So there was one single lounge. I finally said officially that I didn't like the previous lounge. I'm still sure some people are going <laughs> to hate me for saying that. But the new lounge, Jeux, that's the thing, yeah. works super well. I counted four before there was one single lounge. There's one domestic I didn't see because it's clearly close to the domestic gates I mentioned uh, a minute ago. There's three lounges on the map. I've seen two. And one is basically the business class lounge. And the other one is the gold status lounge. So if you have, like me, gold status on Star Alliance, on their program Smiles and Miles, I think, you have access to that one. 
I went to both. They are mirrored next to each other on the upper floor. And they basically are the same. That's very interesting, by the way. It doesn't seem to me that the Gold Lounge had anything more, probably simply less people. It's huh. just they built the same mirrored in the central bit of it. And restaurant with a food court. You have coffee spots everywhere. They serve you coffee. You don't have to do it yourself. You have indoor golfing thing that they had in the previous one. I don't know if anyone has ever used that, but they have like uh, things for kids, like a fake airplane they can play within. There's like a mini racetrack. There's an area which is more quiet, which feels like you're in a library. That's where I ended up. There's no views because it's within the big part, the central part of the terminal. So there's no direct views to the apron. You see some, but it's not perfect. You're literally on a terrace above the entire airport. So you see the the duty-free part where everybody's walking. It's really well done. It was already a little bit cramped. So I'm wondering if uh, they don't need uh, more lounges at some point, but uh, it's fantastic. And there were bakers making bread. There were chefs making food. There were, I mean... I don't know what people want. It just, it's, you know, it works. Not a lot of power plugs. That's maybe the only thing I will say about it, but it's fantastic. Well, I'm very excited to check it out because I don't think I've heard you rave about an airport like that in a long time. Maybe I was overly, maybe it's too new. I don't know how it will age when they, you know, started kicking up more and more people within it. There were a lot of people. We're not talking of an empty airport. Some parts were still empty and I walked around because I had a little bit of time, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm raving. I had managed my expectations. Reading everything I had read, I didn't want to go ever all and think like I did with Eva. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be amazing. It's not. But I was surprised in a very good way. I, and I understand people that criticize it. There are some details that probably don't work. There are stuff that are still being managed. But no, as a connecting airport on one roof, it's fantastic. They are going to expand this over time. You know, right now, I think it's, what, 50, 60 million passengers. They want to go to 200 million. They're going to have up to nine runways. They're going to build a secondary, so the same layout, a second one next door, which will be catering for even more passengers. And they have aprons and satellites. And you can look it up online, guys. I don't know what the plan and when it's going to happen but it's a big bet building a new airport in three and a half years in the middle of nowhere but i think it will pay off of course as in i said that about Heathrow, i get the criticism you know you have to it's infrastructure versus environment versus externality versus you know cutting trees and the noise and uh, carbon emissions and and also probably some people passed away whilst building these things and i get all the criticism but as an airport if you just judge as a passenger experience it works yeah yeah there's so much i don't even know what the correct word is collateral damage you know yeah. with projects like this uh but i think for the purposes of this podcast, it makes sense to yeah at least focus, if not entirely, on the uh, the passenger experience side of it. Very interestingly, last bit, uh, I had pilots actually reaching out to me when I posted some of these pictures on Instagram, and pilots were saying that it's a hard airport to land at because of the winds. They chose uh, the location they chose is not really well protected from the winds blowing in from the Black Sea, which is just above it, which could create difficulties for the pilots. And there's going to be a lot of fog as well in the wintertime. The rumor is that is why they decided to, you know, they did a soft opening in October and waited for April, May, because they say, let's not deal with the fog and the bad weather right away. Let's 
trial run our airport in the full summer season first, and then we'll see what the fuck happens. Makes way more sense. <laughs> but yeah, so they say it's a hard one. I don't know. I'm not a pilot. Maybe some pilots can chime in that you've heard talking about me. But at the end of the day, when you look on Google Maps, because some people were like, yeah, but this airport should have been elsewhere. And I get it. But at the same time, you need so much space. There's not a lot of room you can build an entire airport. They probably had to go with someplace. If we had to build an airport, another airport in London or near London, just look at Google Maps. Where do we build it? Where do you have that amount of space to build something for even 100 million passengers? So yeah. they had to. They make a choice. It's a big bet, but I think it will pay off. US Airlines do not fly there. And contrary to the rumor I've heard that they do not fly there because they do not trust the airport, it's not true. They simply had stopped flying to Turkey after the unrest in 2016 and they've never uh, reconnected yet. It's a very Turkish airline airport. They're going to be successful with that. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it's been a home run. That's it. I'm sorry. I, this episode, I took the microphone and Alex didn't say a lot. I'm really sorry about no, that. No, no. I was flying. <laughs> phenomenal. I, I can't wait to try it. It's always neat to, when a, a big a big airport project like this finally goes live. There you go. Love the airport. Please bash me as you've bashed me from Eva. If you think I'm wrong again, it's fine. Maybe I was lucky that night, but I will fly there again. I will now consider it again as a hub, which I had stopped too because of the old one. So my Turkish friend, please feel free to bash me. Please feel free to love me as well. <laughs> so Alex, what are your next flights? You mentioned New York. Yeah, New York is next. And then lots of pending stuff. So Same here. I'm going to holidays, as I said, in the top of the show. I'm going to the south of Portugal. I've never been. I'm going to land in Faro Airport. Have you ever? Gone Many there? times. Is it a good airport? It's pretty good. It's, it's small and uh, it's a neat landing over the sea. Yeah. Okay. So maybe an airport to cover in a forthcoming episode. So I'm going to be off online and everything for a week. It's my time off. So don't try to reach me. I'm going to miss all your messages, uh, guys, if you do <laughs> this week. So I'm already apologizing for the next show if I don't mention you guys. Enjoy uh, New York, man. Yeah, I'm very, very Enjoy Portugal. jealous of that. And let's see, since everything is spending, when we can record next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Safe travels. All right. Take care, guys. 